Well, notice we read Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1, is to the chief musician on stringed instruments. It's a psalm, a song. And it says in verse 1, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Salah. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And so verse 1 is a, uh, a prayer. You guys may have uh, recognized it. It's kind of rooted in the high priestly prayer found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 27. And uh, you guys remember that uh, prayer? It's where God commanded Moses to speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. And so you can visualize the high priest up there, and he's speaking over the whole nation, and he's going to bless them. And this is what he says in the prayer. He says, uh, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Are you experiencing the blessings of God? You know, some people in this world are not. Some are. And we're going to see today some of the ways that we can experience those blessings. So it's rooted in that high priestly prayer that he would pray. But what he's doing here is he's asking them to pray that prayer, right? I mean, it's a song. You guys know the Psalms are songs. God be merciful to us. And bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And so he's leading the people to pray this over themselves. And so just in case you didn't know, it's okay to pray for yourself. You can pray that. John 17, even Jesus prayed for himself. Do you guys ever pray for yourself? You ever pray, Lord, help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Um, right here he's saying, have mercy on me. That's the way he starts off. And I know that's a great place to, to pray. Luke eighteen thirteen. it talks about the tax collector standing afar off. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but he just beat his breast and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you what, that's a great place to start, you guys. You can't come in on your own righteousness, but ask God for mercy. That, that's what he's praying right here. God, be merciful to us in, in verse 1. Not only ask God for mercy, but ask God for a blessing. Uh, it's okay to do that. You know, how many of you here have read that book, The Prayer of Jabez? The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you have? It's a, it's a great little book. Unfortunately, uh, Christianity kind of took it and idolized it. But it's a great book. It's based on a prayer found in First Chronicles chapter 4. And when you read First Chronicles, uh, it's a whole bunch of uh, genealogies. But tucked away in there is this little prayer. And, and let me read it to you. In Jabez, it says, called on, on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and yet you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. 
So God, it says, granted him, ready we crested. And it's a really cool prayer. You guys can pray that prayer. Lord, bless me. Enlarge my territory. What does that mean? Enlarge my territory. Does that mean give me a bigger house? Maybe, but probably not. It probably is more like, Lord, enlarge my influence. Allow me to reach more people. You can pray that prayer. Lord, bless me. Lord, enlarge my territory. Uh, Let your hand be with me. Keep me from evil. It's interesting. His name, Jabez. Do you guys know what his name means? It means pain. The guy was just a pain. I mean, he was, when he was born, his, his mom said, you caused me a lot of pain. So she, she named him Pain. That's terrible, don't you think? <laughs> so, but anyways, but he prayed, Lord, don't let me cause pain. And, and as a result of him praying for himself, the Bible says that God answered his request. And so uh, it's kind of cool. You can pray, Lord, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve. Lord, bless me. I'm asking for rewards that I, I don't deserve. You know, one of my, my favorite uh, passages in the Bible is in Genesis 32 in verse 26, where, you guys remember the story where Jacob wrestled with God all night. Now, any of you here involved in wrestling, maybe in high school, or do you ever wrestle? We all kind of wrestle, huh? With our friends or enemies or something we wrestle with, right? It's tiring. It is very tiring. You know, a wrestling match is only six minutes, two-minute rounds. I mean, it's, it's so tiring. But imagine wrestling all night long. Well, that's what Jacob did with God. And, and then what happened uh, as the day is breaking, we read in Genesis 32, verse 26, and, and God said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go. This is what Jacob said. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Imagine that. I mean, it's okay to pray that prayer. And so God granted his request, but you know what God did? God gave him a limp. God touched him right here and kind of messed him up. So for the rest of his life, he was walking with a limp. And sometimes the blessings of God are things that happen in our life that perhaps we wouldn't have planned because in one sense we look at it as a handicap. But at the end of the day, it becomes something that keeps us with our eyes on the Lord, man, because I I can't really walk that good. I need you, Jesus. And for the rest of your life, you have a limp. And believe it or not, that was a blessing. So, So we look at this psalm right here, and this is... What he's praying, not just the high priest pray this, but you pray this, pray it for yourself. God, be merciful to me, and, and, and God bless us. And then he says it and cause his face to shine upon us. You know, and, and, and so, you know, you might look at that and you might think, well, there's really nothing significant there. Um, what does it mean for God's face to shine on you? Well, if you have a New Living Translation, it says that God would smile at you. And that's probably a a little bit of what it means, you know, that God would look at you, not with a scowl, but with a smile, that he would look at you with favor. But I think there's more to it. And that's why, you guys, uh, New Living Translation is cool, but it's better 
to stick to a more literal translation. Because when he talks about God's shining face, it, it means a lot. You know, it, it means that, you know, have you, have you guys, I don't know, I don't really see it here too much. I know when I was younger, I used to have a real oily face. You guys have that, oily? Shiny. And, and there's something about that, that shine of God's glory, God's face, that when they were, and in the face of God, it's like proximity, face-to-face, close, that then reaches you, and then we're going to see, then that reaches others. You know, I was thinking about the passage in Second Corinthians 4, 6, where it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, basically, here's the way it works, you guys. Lord, um, have mercy on me. Lord, bless me. Lord, make your face to shine upon me. And, and when God shines in us, when God shines on us, then God will shine through us. And we're going to see that this is the whole motive for the prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, bless me. Lord, let your face shine upon me. Why? What, is it a selfish prayer? What do you want, an easy life? Why are you asking for all this stuff for yourself? And, and we read in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. You know, I mean... The psalmist prays for himself, but it's not a request rooted in selfishness. The motive in in asking for mercy is so that he could then be a witness to the world. Lord, grant me spiritual riches that I might reach out to the lost. You know, today we go to In-N-Out and we're sitting there, we're having some cheeseburgers, we're having fun. You know, we're talking, and on the way back, you just invite somebody to church. As young adults, you never know what God will do with that. You never know what this guy's going through. You know, and you're walking back in, and you got the double doors there, and there's a homeless guy right there. And he remembers us. And we see him for one of the rare occasions. He's not drunk. He's not high. And we're able to share the Lord with him. Our whole life is about that. Thank God for all the other things that we get to enjoy. You know, for the friends and the family and the good food. You know, we were praying for tamales. We got some. I was worried this year because it was kind of slow, man. And then thank God, you know, one family and then the next family. I think eventually we're going to have to learn to make them ourselves, huh? But all I'm saying is that thank God, you know, for all the other blessings of life. But if you don't have a heartbeat for the lost, then you don't have a heartbeat. And you're missing out on the whole reason that you live. Oh, bless me, God. Oh, have mercy on me, God. Oh, save me, God. Oh, make your face shine upon me, God. What for? So that you can reach out to others. That's the only reason. That's what he says there in verse 2. You know, the reason for asking God to bless us is not for us. You know, we would somehow, God, that we would somehow 
be a blessing to others and reach out to them with the gospel. And this is why this is a really cool missionary psalm. Warren Wiersbe called it that. This missionary psalm exhorts us to get the message out to all the nations of the world. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do because a lot of times people come to church and then they leave and they forget everything and more than likely you're going to forget everything but I want to give you one thing not to forget. Okay, some of you guys do pretty good at this but I would venture to say that 92.3% of you don't. Okay, you have to invite somebody to church this Sunday. If not, I'm, I'm just going to pray right now. God will get you somehow. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Is there anyone that you can think of that's hurting, that's struggling, that's lonely? Do you think you might come across anyone over there at 7-Eleven or Jack in the Box? Is there anybody that I can encourage you? And I'm not trying to do that to make the church. That's not the reason. And And I mean that with all my heart. I'm asking you to do this for you. Because you will be blessed when you reach out to others. Some of you guys, you do it all the time, but most of you don't. And for whatever reason, you, you, know, you get up out of bed and you've forgotten why you can walk and why you can speak, and why you can breathe. You've forgotten the very reason you live to reach out to others. And so this is what you know, God is praying, that your way, verse 2, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And in verse 3, let the, the peoples praise you, O God. Let the, let the peoples praise you. Why would they praise the Lord? Well, they must get gotten saved, right? I mean, let the nations be glad and, and sing for joy. Why would they do that? Because Jesus came into their life. That's the only reason, right? We sing for joy. For you shall judge the peoples righteously and and govern the nations on the earth and it's interesting because not only is this a missionary psalm it's also a millennial psalm theologians tell us that this is reference to the thousand year reign of christ you know one of the guys was talking earlier about the things going on in syria and and you know um that's not random things going on in israel syria russia china I mean, that's all Ezekiel 38. Read it. God, Jesus, all this is lined up. You know, we just got done celebrating Christmas. And, you know, for, for years, for centuries, for millennium, they were saying Messiah was coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. And then one day he came. He was born and we just got done celebrating his birth and it rocked the whole world. Well, he's coming again. You know, and, and so from Abraham... You know, to, to Christ, it was 2,000 years. He came. Now we're looking at another 2,000 years. You know, I see what's going on in Syria, and they say there's going to be an invasion in Israel from the north. Everything's lining up. And then what happens first is the rapture. God's going to take out his church. And I know for some people, you're like, well, the rapture? Are we talking about the rapture? We're going to disappear? Yeah. Read Genesis chapter 5. Enoch was raptured. The Bible says, and he walked with God, and was not, for God took him. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to get left behind. So, you know, Second Thessalonians, it talks about that, that if you 
you knew the truth and you didn't really believe the truth and you're not going to be able to come to the Lord later. And so, you know, the rapture happens. We go up, seven years celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bema Seat judgment, tribulation on earth. You know, the last seven years of world history in the, in the Jewish quarters, you read Daniel 9, 24 through 27, because 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. There's one more week left dealing primarily with Israel. And then after the seven-year period, you read Revelation chapter 19, and Jesus comes back. We come back with him, and he sets up his kingdom. He defeats, it's called the Battle of Armageddon, uh, where the whole valley, and those of you who went to Israel with us, five feet high in blood, Jesus comes back, he smites the, the nations of the earth with his sword, and he sets up his kingdom. Just like the Bible says, he's a son of David, and he's going to set up his kingdom. This whole thing right here is about the millennial kingdom of Christ. And that's why when you pray that prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that every time we pray that prayer, we're asking the Lord to set up his kingdom on earth. And that's what's going to happen. Verse uh, 5, let, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. And so that'll happen during the millennial kingdom. If you guys have time, jot this scripture down, Isaiah 11. The whole chapter talks about the millennial kingdom. And uh, even the kids are going to be able to play with rattlesnakes and they won't be bit. Uh, where the lion will lie down, and you guys think it's with the lamb, but it's actually with the wolf. I'll imagine that, man. It's going to be a time of peace and prosperity. Um, where the earth will yield, it says right here, it's her, her increase. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, but then after that, Satan is released. If you read Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, it also mentions the thousand-year reign, where Satan is chained in the abuso for a thousand years. Then he's released one more time to test the nations of the world. And at that point, you know, God the Father will then step in and he'll give the victory, and then, praise God, a new heaven and a new earth, something that all of us inside of our heart know. We know this is right, and we can't wait for that day. And so we see that here in Psalm uh, 67. What a great uh, missionary psalm, a millennial psalm. But then Psalm 68 it's kind of cool because this one's written by David. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song, Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. You know, I, most of you know this, you guys, but maybe some of you have forgotten or maybe some of you are not really aware 
you are in a war. You guys know that? I mean, it's a crazy war. And you know, some of you here, maybe you've served in the military. You know what it's like out there in the battlefield. And you know it's not a joke. It's not a game. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. You know that. And, And a large part of winning that war is you fighting. We gotta fight. You know, I mean, you look around at this world and you look around at your friends. Think about your friends. Think about your family members. Think about your co-workers. You know, you read the news, different things that happen. Not everybody wins. There's a lot of people that are losing that war. They're being swallowed up by Satan himself. What about you? Will you be a casualty? Or will you experience victory? And this psalm has a lot to do, when I was reading it, there's a lot here, but there's a lot of keys for victories. And the first thing right off the bat that you see right here is just the fact that you have to be a person of prayer. You know, I mean, I don't want to be legalistic or anything, you guys, because no matter what, God will love you, you know, whether you pray or whether you don't pray. But, you know, your love for God is going to fluctuate. Your victory in life will fluctuate on what kind of prayer life do you have. Do you get down on your knees? Do you really pray to God or do you just pray before you eat? Is that all you give to God? No, one of the keys to victory is prayer. And and we see that here in in verse 1. I mean, that's what he's praying. He's praying, right? Let God arise let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him, you know, flee before the Lord. You got, I mean, I don't know if you guys believe in guardian angels. How many of you guys here believe in guardian angels? You believe in angels? You believe in demons? You think you got any demons on you? Following you? Studying you? Saying, how can I make this one not be interested in the things of God? How can I distract this one? How can I defeat this one? Oh, yeah, it's a battle. And, and, and so what he's praying, Lord, arise. Lord, scatter them, the ones that hate you. Like smoke, just blow them away. You know, like, like wax. And when wax meets fire, Lord, just melt them down. And we're going to see in this psalm right here, there's a big contrast between the, the righteous and, and the unrighteous. So here's something I want to share with you guys. One of the keys to victory is prayer. Another key to victory is praise. You know, when angels up here singing these songs right here, I don't know if you realize it or not, but your involvement in worship, you singing these songs is instrumental in your victory against demons. And, and when you're singing these songs, man, um, when you're when you're when you're these lyrics of, of praise and faith and declaration is powerful, and we see that in the Psalms, we we see it. Look at verse four: sing to God, sing praises to His name, extol Him who rides on the clouds by His name, Yah, and rejoice before him you know um when you look at this right here it's interesting when you pray you'll experience his presence and power and when you sing 
He supplies his salvation. And so I, I'm telling you guys, I'm just trying to keep it simple. Do you want to win? Do you want to win? Then pray. Do you want to win? Then praise. And when they're up here singing these worship songs or when you're listening to them on the radio or on your iPod or your phone or whatever, you're, you're not just singing it like to just kind of hit the note. You're singing it like you're punching the devil in the face. You're singing it like you're laying hold of God and you're believing these things that you're singing. Because when you do that, you know, there, there's victory and, and, and it's, you know, so cool because of who he is. You, you, it says right there, sing to God, praise to his name. And we're going to see more later as we go through the, the psalm. Extol him who, it says right here, rides on the clouds. Did you guys know that God rides on the clouds? Uh, I don't know. How many of you think here it, he does it just for fun? That would be cool, huh? One day we're riding on the clouds. You know what? Knowing the way that God is so good, because he invented the roller coaster rides at Magic Mountain. <laughs> he put that in someone's heart to make those things that are so fun. Amen? They're fun, right? So maybe it's partially for fun, but it's really because uh, he wants to help us. Deuteronomy 33:26 says, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. And it is excellency on the clouds. And so you can visualize him. And man, he's just riding on the clouds. Man, and he's, you know, he's going 100 miles an hour. Why? Because he wants to help you. Oh no, sweetheart, that's not a good guy for you. And he'll come in and he'll intervene and he'll separate because he knows the end from the beginning. Or he'll come and he'll help you when you're down. He'll lift you up. I mean, this is so cool. What we read right here. You know, I used to visualize the clouds as a surfboard for our Savior, but then there's another psalm that sheds light on the mode of transportation. In Psalm 104, in verse 3, it says, He makes the clouds His chariot. And so we've got to make sure that we get these visuals right. God riding the clouds on His chariot, okay? So we pray and we sing and He supplies His salvation. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is, and that's why it says right there, extol his, him who rides in the clouds by his name, which is Yah. And in the Hebrew language, uh, that's a shortened version of uh, uh, Yahweh, and we know that Yahweh, it means I am, right? I am whatever you need today. That's who, who God is, right? I mean, look who God is in verse 5. He's a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. It is God in his holy habitation. God sets the, the solitary or the lonely in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. You know, and, and, and you see who God is, and then you kind of see the contrast, huh? Well, there's the rebellious, but then there are those who acknowledge their need for God. You know, this is his heart. He is a father. He is a defender. He is the one who allows the lonely to find love by walking them, welcoming them into the family of God. Right? And that's how the father 
treats his children. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12. The only one God won't help are the rebellious, he mentions right here in verse 6, who don't submit their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, and some of you guys are older here and you're beginning to get it. Some of you here are younger. And hopefully you're beginning to get it as well. You know, you don't have to wait until you're old to serve the Lord. I mean, God wants to protect you, right? He wants to do a work in your life because of the fact that he loves you so much. And so it's interesting in verse uh, 6, he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. That was the Jews. The Jews, if you remember, were prisoners. They were slaves in Egypt. They were bound, and God brought them out. And so he talks about that in verse 7. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Salah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped, rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the, the God of Israel. That's Exodus 19. You, oh God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O oh God, provided from your goodness for the poor. How many of you here are poor? No, don't raise your hands. You know, guys, some of you here, it's like, man, paycheck to paycheck, huh? And you might live like that for a while. And it's just so cool to see the way the Lord provides. How are we going to pay for our taxes this year? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. We've been in situations like that, my wife and I, on our knees for uh, almost a whole year. And then just to see the Lord come through that week. And God provides. You know, and, and when you see the children of Israel and they're in Egypt, God brings them out. God sustains them in the wilderness for 40 years. There's no Targets or Walmarts or 7-Elevens or McDonald's. How does he do it? How does he provide for them? And then when I get into the promised land, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. There's, there's not enough rain. And then right in the nick of time, God sends the rain and he just blesses them and he provides for them. You know, in verse 9, this is an interesting passage right there. It's almost like they came to a point in their life where they were questioning whether or not they were still the children of God at all. You know, it talks about the earth shaking, Exodus 19. That's when God established his covenant with Israel. So it's a very you know, important time. But then, you know, you, know, you go on and, and life gets tough and you haven't heard the voice of God in an audible voice in a while. You haven't seen the signs and you're wondering, Lord, am I still yours? Am I still your child? Do you still see what's going on? Right here it says they're weary. They're tired. They're ready to give up. And then God, let me, let me tell you this. God always shows up in the nick of time. And then all of a sudden, you know, boom, man, it just starts raining there in the promised land. You know, this is why we can pray. This is why we can praise not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And when you lay hold of who He is, then you will have the key 
to victory. As a pastor, you don't see it a lot. You don't see it a lot. But, but every once in a while, there's a remnant. There are a handful of people who really love Jesus. My prayer is that you guys would want that for your life. I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those. Right here in verse 11, it says, The land gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in in Zaman. And and basically what that section is right there is just talking about those times in Israel's history when they were given the victory. And, And even the ladies, even those who were out there in the fields, they were able to glean the spoil from God's victory. That's all, that's all he's saying. In verse 15, a mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountains of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. And, and, and what this is an interesting portion now because he's going to make a couple of points here. The mountains of Bashan, big mountains, glorious mountains, right? And you would think that they would be the ones that are of significance in the scriptures, right? But God chose Sinai. And when you compare the mountains of Bashan to this little hill of Sinai, you would think, man, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's insignificant. And so they're kind of jealous. These little guys, these little mountains, they get the glory. But it's because it's there that God establishes covenant. We're going to see later, God even emphasizes this even more. And, and it's kind of cool because basically what he's saying is that you may be small and insignificant and little whatever, comparison to the others in the world. And, and what God is saying is that it doesn't matter. This is the mountain, verse 16, which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Why? Because he loves you. Because of the covenant relationship that he has with you. You know, it says in verse 17, the, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them. As in Sinai, in the holy place, you have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. And so this is interesting now. Because this is actually quoted in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 8. And and it's interesting what ends up happening is because God here is giving us keys to victories. I talked about prayer. I talked about praise. And now I'm going to talk about people. Believe it or not, you know, even though we're insignificant, 
God uses people. And in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you guys to turn there real quick. This is why you need to go to church. <laughs> you, need, you need people. We need help. We need, we're a team, right? And Ephesians chapter 4, notice what we read here in verse 7. It says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so every single one of you guys, Every single one of you here, you've received grace, and, and it also means that you've received, you've received gifts. You're, you're a Christian, you have, have gifts. But it says right here, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And so he's quoting from the psalm we just read, all right, in Psalm 68. And so it says in verse 9, Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And then he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so when Jesus died, you guys know this, right? He went into Abraham's bosom. He led captivity captive, so to speak, out of Abraham's bosom into heaven. But in that same process, he gives the Holy Spirit who would then be the one that would give gifts to the people. But not just giving gifts to the people, giving people as gifts. And that's what we read next. Notice it says right here in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And so, you know, you go on and it talks about how the church, you know, you guys are in a battle, right? And you read Ephesians 4, and I encourage you to do that. And it just talks about how the devil's right there, man, just to mess you up, to trick you, cunning devices, but he uses these guys that are gifts, he uses all the gifts of the body together to grow you up and to make you a mature and committed Christian. And so you go back to Psalm 68, and, and let's read it again. Psalm 68, in verse 18, you have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, you have received gifts among men. Now, it's interesting. Psalm 68 says you receive gifts. Ephesians 4 says you gave gifts. Psalm 68 says that you gave gifts to men. I mean, here it says you gave gifts from men. There it says that you received, you gave the gifts of men. And this is all, I, I think it's important for us to know that if you want victory... You're, you're going to need to be a, a Christian who prays and a, a Christian who offers praise and you have to be one of those who take advantage of the people of God. Because I look around here, even here tonight, and I, could, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I can name names of individuals who I thank God for in my own life as a, as a personal individual 
and for this church. And I know you are a gift from God. And that's why it's important to be in fellowship. How are you going to win this war if you're not praying, if you're not praising, and if you're not around the people of God that God gave as gifts to help the church? You were all different parts of the body. And so this psalm right here is really interesting, you know, because what God does is it's so cool every day. Look at verse 19. Uh, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. How many of you here don't have any benefits? Yes, you do. You have benefits. It says right here, our God is the God of salvation, and, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. How many of you here almost died? Many times. Where's Joey at? I mean, that guy, man, he got shot. He's flatlining and God saved him. I mean, this is so many. But God will wound, notice, the head of his enemies. That takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. Takes us back to the demons, right? The, The hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespass. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring back them back from the depths of the sea. Notice that your foot may crush them in blood and the tongues of your dogs may have their your portion from your enemies i mean god just gives us that that victory verse 24 they have seen your procession o god the procession of my god my king into the sanctuary and and here it is the singers went before the players on instruments followed after among them were the maidens plain timbrels. Bless God in the congregation, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. And, and you know, again, when, when a church, and you guys, I just need to exhort you. I, I need to encourage you. When, when we're up here, when they're up here doing the music, join in. Worship. Because it's victory for you, but it's victory for our church. What he's talking about right here, it's not random. It's talking about how the worship leaders would proceed into the temple. And we're we're talking about how God can use anyone. Look at at verse 27. Did you guys notice this? There is little Benjamin, their leader. He's a little guy. (laughs) But he's their leader. Why? Because the Lord gets all the glory. Right? It's just, he's just a little guy. You would never figure. The princes of Judah and their company, the company of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali, right? They, they follow after. But little Benjamin, he's a leader. And, and verse 28 is so cool. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. And this is an interesting passage right here because um, it, it says that God commands strength. But it also says, God, give us strength like you gave them strength in the past. That's what he's talking about right here. And so, to me, it's so cool because what ends up happening, you guys, is this. And don't worry, we're almost done. We're going to have communion here. But here's the thing. We go through our trials in life and we're praying with all our heart, Lord, take them away. Lord, I don't want to go through this. Let this cup pass from me. I've been praying that prayer. 
Because I know what's ahead of me. And I know what's going to happen. And, and, but at the same time, I'm praying, Lord, let this cup pass. But not my will. But thy will be done. Because we want God to lighten the load. When God instead wants to use this as an opportunity to strengthen our hearts. And that's what God will do. You know, as a pastor, as someone involved in the church, I'll tell you what, I see many people fall away. Fall away. They're not in church anymore. They're, they're not serving the Lord anymore. You can just tell there's no fire inside of them. There's no consistency. There's no faithfulness. You know, they're playing games with God. They're not seeking God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they, and they just go on and on and on and on like that. Why? Why not enter in and receive the strength that God can give you to bear any trial that will come your way? That's what he wants to do. He wants to change us. He wants to mature us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to bring you to a place that you've never been. When I go work out, okay, I won't tell you guys how much weight I, I, I use because, you know, I don't want to brag or anything, man. But for those of you guys who work out, you know how it is. You don't, you don't keep doing the same weight forever. You go stronger, right? At least you should. When I'm running my miles, I'm not going to run them the same pace or the same amount of time that I've been doing it, you know, last year. No, I go faster, and I go farther. Well, isn't that what you should be doing? Isn't that what we should be doing as Christians? And that's what God will use those trials for. I want to make you less like you. I know you love yourself, but I want to make you less like you and more like me. He wants to strengthen us. Notice right there in verse 29, it says, because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. And this is David looking forward to the temple. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the people who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. And you know, we're talking about the enemies and it is including, the, you know, the demons. But man, there are people, God is going to deal with them. God will scatter them. God will do that work, right? And, and the ones that, that do come to the Lord, they will come. And the ones who don't, there's this, this dichotomy between the saints and the ain'ts. And he goes back in verse 32 and he says, Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. Salah. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens which were of old, indeed he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, ascribes strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. And I, and I like the way it ends right there because, uh, you know, David appreciated the tabernacle 
and he looked forward to the temple. But at the end of the day, he just said, but, but Lord, I know that you're much more than a building. You're much more than some, you know, grand and glorious, you know, temple covered with gold. No, Lord, it's not about the temple. It's about you. And I, and I pray that we would know that, you guys. I pray that you would know that God is riding the clouds because he wants you.